0: Tell you what, after those songs, I don't think I have to preach this message. I think it would be redundant completely. Um, Yeah, today's message, I'm going to talk about forgiveness. And the the reason I chose this actually has nothing to do with this church whatsoever. That in a couple weeks, I'm going to be going to Africa and I'm going to be teaching pastors there for a week. But we also go out and minister in the villages and uh, we preach in the villages. And at at Sephri Ministries, where I work, Uh, We say all the time, if you have one hour to work with somebody, that we have the seven steps to freedom. It's a a process that we lead people through there and and, and deal with forgiveness. In terms of where people are bound up spiritually, that's usually the mother load of problems that people have in their life is dealing with past hurts and traumas and the unforgiveness because the enemy will attack you or have someone attack you and then he will work on you to be unforgiving and bitter. Okay, it's, he, he hates both sides of this. You know, he's, he doesn't, you know, He the the offender and the offended are both his stock and trade. So that's what we do. And I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be in these African villages in Uganda and I'm going to have an hour or so and I'm going to deal with forgiveness. And uh, so I worked out this message completely. And uh, all of a sudden they, they changed the script on us. They said, you know, we just had a big... Uh, time ministering to the wives of these pastors, and their family lives are a mess. Could you please minister about godly men in these villages? So I've got to write a whole other <laughs> set of messages. And I got this one, and this has been on my heart, and it's been on my mind. I thought, you know what, I'm going to be preaching here at the pier, so I'm going to talk about forgiveness, okay? Um, this can be a kind of a tough message, because I am asking you to go back to those hurts and traumas. And everyone's got them. Not a single person here hasn't been through something that they need, that would cause a person to be bitter or unforgiving. Including myself. You know, um, two of my kids are here. I can think of things in their lives that I've done that would cause them to be bitter towards me. You know, and that's just the way it is. So I figured I'd start on a lighter note. Okay, I'm going to lighten this one up a, just a little bit. My younger brother, Carl, Carl McIntyre, is a police officer. He lives out in Iowa now, but he was a police officer in uh, Westchester, Pennsylvania, for over 20 years. And he retired from there, and now he's a deputy sheriff out in Iowa. But he had an interesting call one time. He was, you know, they, he was single car. You know, he was just him in his car, and there's different officers patrolling. And this 911 call came in, and this guy said, my brother is crazy. My brother, he thinks he's Jesus seriously, he thinks he's Jesus. He's in my house. He says he's in my house. He's going to burn it down, and you, you need to get a car there right away, so Carl, my brother, hears this call come in, and you know, he gets dispatched to this address, and so did Officer Billy McKay, another officer from a different area, and they go screaming, you know, lights and sirens to get to this guy's house, because the guy said Jesus, bring it down hellfire on this guy's, his brother's house, so Carl, you know, they get there at the same time, and Billy decides to go in the front of the house, Carl went in the back of the house, into the kitchen door. So Carl comes, bursting into the kitchen door, and there is a five-gallon gas can sitting on the kitchen table. And whoever's, you know, something's going down. It doesn't smell like gas. He hasn't poured it yet, but it's there. A five-gallon gas can. And he hears a commotion, and he sees this guy, you know, who's just kind of crazy looking. and. Carl confronts him, and Billy McKay was coming in the front door right behind this guy, and Billy just body slams him, tackles him. They both dogpile him, get him hooked up and everything, and this guy starts in with the Jesus routine, and he really does believe he's Jesus. Now, there's, uh, he's calling down curses on Billy McKay because Billy was the violent man that tackled him, you know, and, and just cuffed him and manhandled him, basically, so He's in the car, he's screaming invective at, at Billy and cursing him and sending him to hell and all this stuff, and they get him to the station, and this guy, every time Billy walks in the room, he would just go off about Billy and, and condemning him to hell and all this stuff, and something I didn't tell you about my brother, he has a four-year degree in pastoral studies. <laughs> he He was going to be a pastor, and he's got a degree in Bible, and... He got disgusted with organized religion, became a cop, and has been one ever since. And he's he's a deacon in his church. He's a great guy. I mean, he's he's he got over that part. But uh, this guy, this crazy guy, apparently knew some theology and some Bible. And he's quoting scripture and all this stuff. And he really did kind of know his stuff. And Carl's kind of tracking along with all this. And he says, "You're not Jesus." He says, "Yes, I am." He says, "No, I know you're not Jesus. I know you are not Jesus." The guy sits back. Gets kind of quiet Isn't saying anything. A little while later, Billy comes walking in the room. He says, Billy, I forgive you. <laughs> so I say all that to say this. Even a crazy man knows he needs to forgive. Even the certifiably insane know that forgiveness is a requirement, OK? So we're all in the same boat. We've all done stuff we need to be forgiven for. We've all had things done against us that we need to forgive. Okay, so let's take a look at some, uh, some verses here. You open your Bibles up to Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. First is our need to be forgiven. Now, I'm having you opened up to Psalm 32, 1 through 5. While you're doing that, listen to Psalm 19 and verse 12. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Who can discern their own errors? Oh, yeah, if you don't have a Bible, Job will hand you a Bible. If you don't have one, just raise your hand if you would like to get one. Who can discern their own errors? You know, the writer of the psalm here is, is just looking at himself like, yeah, I'm, I'm blind to myself. We have blind spots. We have places that, you know, things that we do which we don't even realize that we're, we're sinning. So he says, forgive my hidden faults. Forgive my hidden faults, the things that I don't even know I do, Lord. Oh, Psalm 32, 1 through 5. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. That's the, the blessing of being forgiven. Now, verse 3 is, is something that I want to really, really dial in on here. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. That's the burden of carrying our sin, the burden of not going to God and asking for forgiveness of not bringing our sin before him. And, and, and we know that we're in the wrong. We know that we're doing something or harboring something or we know we're not right. You know, when I was a kid, I, I, got, I skipped a lot of school. <laughs> if you knew how much school I skipped, you would not respect me as an intellectual person, right? <laughs> it was bad. And there would be notifications sent to my house but I got home before my parents, so I intercepted them in the mailbox. And for some reason, I couldn't just like light them on fire and grind the ashes. You know, I would hide them. I don't know why. I'd like hide them under my mattress or something. Report cards. David, how come your brother got his report card three weeks ago and you haven't gotten yours yet? I don't know, Mom. (laughs) It's under my mattress. That stuff weighed on me. I was living with this impending sense of doom any moment. This life I'm living right now is going to end, you know? And I will be grounded, beaten, browbeaten, yelled at, whatever. You know, it was just this sense of impending doom. You know that has a physical effect on people? You, know, you can measure stress hormones in somebody's blood when somebody's under a lot of stress or under a in- crushing load of guilt it changes people internally it actually changes your blood it ages people prematurely it causes people to lash out it is a horrible thing that's what he says when i kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy upon me my strength was sapped in the, as in the heat of summer then i acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my sin isn't that beautiful you know, and, and this is, understand, this is written in, by a Jew under the law, and what did he have to point to that forgiveness? What was the assurance of his forgiveness that he had was the sacrificial system and his personal obedience to the law, that he really was making an effort to not sin every day, conscious of it, you know, and that Was taken care of by the sacrificial system. The atonement was made. the the animal was sacrificed. That was the picture pointing us to Christ. Because we know in Hebrews it says the blood of bulls and goats never took away sin. That was never the thing that washed away their sin. It was always going to be the sacrifice of Christ. And throughout the law, you have everything in the law. You know, from the sacrifice. You know, Abraham asking. You know, God asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. That's a picture of Christ. The lamb, the Passover, that's a picture of Christ. All these things are pictures of Christ. And we look back through the lens of Christianity at the law, and we can see this. We can see Christ. The Emmaus Road, you know, he opened up the scriptures and told them all the places, pointed back to some of those in his ministry. But he said, he said, I acknowledged my sin to you, okay? I acknowledged my sin. That's confession. Confession is agreeing. Yes, Lord, what I did was wrong. I was totally out of line. This is an affront to you, to your holiness, what I did. I acknowledged my sin. Okay, rather than hiding it, rather than you know, trying the the fig leaf thing or the running and hiding, it's coming forward and saying, Yes, I did this. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You're forgiven. Now a Jew would look at that and say, I'm I'm forgiven because I've confessed, I've acknowledged things, and I'm being a good Jew. I'm I'm being obedient to what God has told me to do. And I'm participating in the sacrifices and the rituals and all these different things that eventually would point to Christ. It is a blessing from God that we're not comfortable with unconfessed sin. Amen. It's a blessing that we are uncomfortable. It is a blessing that He chastens every son or daughter that He receives. He doesn't allow you to play with poison. You know, we watch our little kids. You know, we—it's like a kid with a handgun. No, we're, no, 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 no. You don't get to do that. Okay. You know, it's a blessing that he stops us. It's a blessing that sin hurts us, because then we stop. It's a pain response. You, know, you put your hand on a burner, you recoil from it. Okay, well, you do sin. It doesn't feel good. It hurts. And we know that we have to. We need for God's forgiveness. Unconfessed sin has a toxic, corrosive effect on our mental and physical health. It kills the life within us that God wants us to live. He came that we might have life and have it to the full. Sin stops that life from becoming a reality, just like a disobedient child knows only punishment and discipline until they reconsider their ways. And a loving father disciplines. And that's the relationship that we have. So... What kind of relationship do you want with your God? Do you want the loving father relationship of discipline? Or the loving father relationship of participating in his life? Do we want his discipline or do we want to walk with him? It's a relationship, right? It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Think about every other relationship you have. And when there's bitterness and unforgiveness or unconfessed sin or whatever going on, It's not good. It's a relationship killer. Because God loves you and he is going to do what he needs to to bring you back into fellowship with himself. Every time. So you continue in that sin and he is going to... So you need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. On these songs, I couldn't sing them. I couldn't sing at times today hearing this because it's just... Yeah. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God loves his children enough to discipline them and to bring them back to a place of being in full fellowship and blessing. Psalm 130 says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, notice this, so that we can with reverence serve you. Wow. He forgives us so that we can participate in his life. He forgives us, so we can serve him. If you, Yeah, Lord, if he kept the record of my sins, yeah, who could enter your presence? Right. Without his forgiveness, we don't have a shot at this at all. We have no chance. That's how guilty we are. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, For whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy confess and renounce your sin and you will find mercy the one who conceals their sins does not prosper now the prosperity gospel people take that and try and dollarize monetize that prosperity in there that prosperity is getting ahead in life getting forward in life moving on from the place that you were getting out of your sin being free of sin is its own reward okay being free of sin is its own reward because sin is poison, sin is dangerous, sin is chewing on broken glass. And when you stop doing that, things get better, things heal. You know, oftentimes we'll sin to give ourselves some little perceived advantage, right? The little white lie, shading the truth, cutting a corner, doing all these different things. And it's best just to abandon that thinking, and live life in the open. We sin, yes, so confess it. You have a free, open path to come to God to confess your sin, and what will he do? He will give you mercy. He will forgive you. It's a promise. Now, the enemy doesn't want you to do that. The enemy's like, no, 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 you are so ugly to God, you are so sinful and so repugnant to him, that He, how could you ever show your face in the throne room of God after what you did? I'm not going to raise, ask to raise your hand if you have heard that line of reasoning go through your head at some point. <laughs> because I am not, we are not unaware of the schemes of the devil, okay? Jesus, who bled out on a cross for you, paid that price. I mean, the world was created by the word of his mouth, right? That was the easy thing. To redeem you, he had to bleed out on a cross. And get a load of this. He doesn't even hold that against you. He offers you that freely for your redemption. It's not like Jesus died for you. What have you done for him lately? That is not the attitude of God. He's like, I died for you. This is how much I love you. This is what I'm willing to do to bring you back to me. This is what I am willing. These are the lengths I'm willing to go to for you to get you to come to me. And Satan's like, no, 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 no. You're ugly, dude. You can't do that. You smell like you rolled in something out in the pasture. You're a sinner. And he's like, yeah, I paid that price for you. Come be cleaned. I will forgive you. Just come. So don't listen to the enemy here. Confess your sin. The word for confess here is uh, to throw, to cast out, confess, or acknowledge. Renounce. To relinquish, leave, forsake, loose, or abandon. And mercy. Love, have compassion, pity, have mercy on. Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Come empty-handed with all your sin and evil deeds and lay them down. That's the promise we have. And we need that. We need to be forgiven. You know, that right there, Acts 3.19, that is the essence of my job in freedom ministry, where you take a person whose the wheels have come off their life, their Christian life, their walk, and you bring them down and you sit, sit down. We're going to go through a process today of confession and repentance. We're going to lead you through this process of confessing your sin, repenting of it, praying to God, asking him to come in and restore you in these areas. We're just going to come clean with God today. And it's a wonderful ministry. You get to sit down with two 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 mature believers in Christ, sitting down with somebody who's really needs to help. Where we know that that person can open up to us and tell us everything that's actually going on in their life. All the really dark stuff that they've participated in, and just get it clean, get it out on the table, confess it to God. Now Satan can't accuse you of that. You've been forgiven, and you know you've been forgiven. And there's no more meddling. The enemy can't latch onto that and be the accuser, because you dealt with it. And then after the, we're done, the, the notes get, go, literally go through an industrial size shredder we have in the back office there, and we pray to forget the stuff that we've heard. And it's a beautiful thing. Confess your sins one to another, right? This is a nice verse to know, but it's a beautiful thing to do and to see done. You know, and so much of our, we have all these theological ideas and stuff. Okay, well, what are the ones you're actually doing? What's the practice you have of this thing? Are you doing this on a regular basis? That's the essence of what we do. Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And there's some neat words here. Wiped out. This is from Strong's Concordance. Properly to rub, smear out, i.e. completely remove, wipe away, obliterate, totally, remove totally from a previous state with the outcome of being blotted out or erased. Originally meant to plaster over, rub smooth, or whitewash. Later, it referred to wiping out in the sense of to cancel. That your sins might be, have all that done to them. God's got rid of them. And he's relating to you on the basis of what Christ did for you, not on the basis of what you did. Amen. Wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Once repentance takes place, the person no longer experiences the chastening of a loving God, but can enjoy the positive side of the fatherly relationship with him. That's why he did this. And that's what we need. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen? If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just. He's promised to forgive us. He is faithful to that promise, and He is just. He's right to do it. Why is He right to do it? Again, the cross, He paid for that. He owns it. And that's His heart. And to purify us from all unrighteousness. The sin that was done to you does not create, make you a lesser than We see that so many times that people, because they have been sinned against in a certain way, that they believe that they are less than, or that diminishes them as a human being in the eyes of God. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know, I... Everyone here can go through their own lifetime inventory of negative experiences, and I'm sure if we had a competition, somebody here would win. You know, I'm It's not a matter of one-upsmanship, you know, oh, my life was harder than your life, or, you know. We've all had things done against us. You know, my dad was an alcoholic, and I I could give you some horror stories, you know. Thrown down a stairwell, dragged out of bed by my hair, you know. What's the point of going through all those different things? My father, I forgave him, and it took me a long time. It took me a process of years working through these things. And once I learned to forgive him, guess what? Other memories pop up. Just had one pop up last year. You know, we were coming into the, our lake house in the mountains that had a big curving driveway that came down, and there was a, a ditch on the one side, and it was snowy and everything. And my dad had the station wagon, and he's sliding all over the place. And he has me standing in the ditch, pushing on the side of the car as he's going down the driveway so it doesn't fall into the ditch. Yeah, the physics of it is ugly as you're thinking right now. If that car did slide into the ditch, I would have been squashed like a roach, and that's how it made me feel. That my life is not is on equal par with my dad's car sliding off the road into a ditch and getting scratched or dented. I'm the guy. I'm my life is. You know, you know what I mean. You, you go through those things. It's just like wow, you know. And, Get angry about it and think, "No, wait a minute. No, this is my dad, and I got to forgive him. I'm going to forgive him." You know, and I, I just, you know, talked as if he was there. Like, "Dad, that was really a unloving, horrible thing you did," and that made me feel about this big for years after that happened. And you were a were a warped and twisted man to do that. That's the truth. And whatever comes of that, I turn that. praise God, I didn't get killed there. But I'm turning that over to God, and I'm letting you off the hook. Okay. I don't need anything from you in regard to that. That's between you and God. All right, because I get everything I need from my Father. Right here, He loves me. I know. I know my worth because of this relationship, and it wasn't. Won't, that won't be destroyed by the relationship that I have with you. Had to go through that process. And that is, we need to forgive, and we need to be forgiven. Now, God doesn't just let go of sin. That's what the whole atonement is all about. God isn't like just saying, okay, your sin doesn't matter, and okay, I'm just going to ignore the injustices that you've done or the injustices that have been done to you. Okay, Romans three twenty five and twenty six says God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so that as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Him. Okay, that atonement had to be paid. The blood had to be paid. The blood you owed for your sin was paid. Okay. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay? Now, forgiveness is not optional in Scripture. We're going to go through some verses that talk about that in just a a minute here. But I need to... When people hear that word forgiveness, the enemy has muddied up that concept with a lot of baggage. A lot of things that people think are involved in forgiveness, which have nothing to do with it, and people think, I can't forgive because I can't do that, and that is a lie. I can't forgive because I can't do except this aspect of forgiveness, and that aspect of forgiveness has nothing to do with what God is talking about here. Number one, I've got like eight of them here. I'll probably think of half a dozen more by the time I'm done. Number one, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. The things that have happened to you, you're never going to forget them. Okay? Things I even kind of put out of my mind or forgot about, they come back. Like that incident with my dad in his car. Hadn't thought of that in 30 years or so. All of a sudden, I'm thinking about it and getting angry about it. You know, forgiveness is not forgetting. You're not expected to forget what happened. And just because you might have forgotten something or pushed it out or compartmentalized it away in some part of your mind where you won't mentally go, you have, that's not forgetting either. Okay? Repressing something, repressing a traumatic memory and, and isolating it, and never, we're not going to talk about that. Okay? You, I, I've seen that come up in um, umpteen conversations where a person will start to talk about the past. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. Oh, yeah. Don't knock on that door. Beware of beasts inside that room. Okay, we're not gonna go there. I'm not gonna talk about that trauma. I'm not gonna discuss it. I'm not even gonna think about it. And all of us have stuff like that. It's not forgetting. Forgiveness is not a feeling. I'm in a forgiving mood. Yeah, God doesn't care about your forgiving mood at all. He's not trying to get you to a point where you're in a forgiving mood, where you are self-motivated to say, yeah, you know, Billy, I forgive you. You know, it's not a point of spiritual pride that I forgive everybody. I'm the most humble man I know, and I can tell you all about it. I was asked to teach a course in college on personal humility, and yet I forgive. Look at me, forgiving people. You know, it's not a point of pride. It's not a feeling. Forgiveness is not minimizing the offense. People try and do that all the time. Ah, you know, it wasn't really that big a deal. It was nothing. Didn't really happen. Nothing, you know. Eh. You know, let by, bygones be bygones. It's, you know, didn't really affect me that much. No, the fact that you need to free forgiveness is for those things that actually are offenses an offense was committed you were sinned against it hurt you're bearing the consequences of someone else's actions maybe for life it's not minimizing it oh that none of that matters you know i'm just an abuse magnet you know i'm i deserved it anyway no you didn't and they had no right to do that that's why we have to forgive them. That's why we're at this point. Don't minimize it. Forgiveness is not letting go of justice. I'll say that guy had burned down that man's house. He's his brother. Probably forgive him. Brother to brother. Dude's still going to jail for arson. Okay, Because we're a broader community, and we can't have people that decide this is the way to go on a day that I'm kind of angry at the world. I'm just going to burn people's houses down. You don't get to do that. And just the act of forgiving somebody, and, and we've seen this before. And if you ever watched sentencing hearings you know, on, on YouTube or whatever where a crime has gone down, and they have these victim impact statements, so everybody gets to go up and stand there, you'll, have, you'll see it. You'll see the bitterness, the anger, the, I hope you rot in hell, da, da, da. I hope the prisoners kill you, and you see that, these people just pouring out their, their hatred, and every once in a while, you come to a person, it's like, yeah, you murdered my, my daughter, and you are got to pay the price, and you've got to stand before God for that, but I'm not going to live my life hating you, I hope you find Christ, I've seen that too, wow, powerful testimony there. So it's not letting go of justice. If crimes have been committed and things need to be paid for, they need to be paid for. But that doesn't, shouldn't stop you from forgiving a person. Forgiveness takes place outside of that. It's independent of that. Forgiveness does not depend upon reconciliation. Your forgiveness of that person does not depend upon you restoring a relationship with that person. You know, I've, there are certain crimes that have been committed against my family. I never want to see those men again but I've forgiven them, I've turned them over to God. That's just the way it has to be. You know, there are people that will never recognize what they've done against you. There are people who will continue to abuse you. You don't have to reconcile with that person, but you do have to forgive them. You don't have to restore the relationship. Forgiveness might be a part of restoring a relationship. You know, husband and wife, yeah. Forgiving each other. And coming back to reconciliation it is extremely important. You know, family relationships, all kind of relationships. It should be reconciliation and forgiveness is a huge part of that, but not necessarily. Forgiveness is possible without the offender's repentance, remorse, regret, or recognition. They did it to you and they're glad they did it to you and they do it to you again. Uh huh. Met those folks. They don't care, they don't recognize, don't realize, don't respond, don't repent. Oh, he has to repent of that sin before I'll forgive him. Oh, he has to ask me for forgiveness before I'll give it to him. He has to come to me and admit, well, he's never going to do that. And guess what? You're chained to him. You've got this person who's on a self-destructive path. He leaves a wake of destruction around him. And guess what? You're water skiing behind his boat. You're tied to him. Forgiveness does not require you to endure continued abuse. There are people in this world who are dangerous, who have done dangerous things to you and have hurt you and all that. And you do not have to be a doormat to that because i forgive him i forgive him i forgive him and yeah he beats me every evening and i forgive him okay let's get him move out and get a different apartment maybe a restraining order is in order let people know what's going on because ma'am you don't have to put up with that but you do have to forgive him but forgiveness does not mean continued abuse and that's very important. And forgiveness also does not establish immediate trust. And we see this with Christian leadership all the time. Oh, some Christian leader, some pastor, some lead, leader in his organization gets caught doing something which is totally inappropriate for his station and position, and he says, well, I repent and I confess and I'll never do it again, and okay, pastor, we forgive you, and here's the keys to the ministry. No, dude needs a timeout. He's broken a trust that you know, I fully believe in restoration after such things. But that has to be demonstrated. And for, well, you know, we decided we forgave him. Well, good. Now let's get him some help, right? Let's get him rehabilitated. Let's get him back to a place where we can trust him. But that's not automatic. And forgiveness does not automatically come with renewed trust. Forgiveness is not optional. It is a command, and like all commands, we can obey it. God doesn't command anything that we do anything that we cannot do. And we are commanded to, obey, to forgive. So that, therefore, we can. Now, I want you to notice something that's very interesting. If you take, I have this great Bible program at work, And I put in a word like forgive, and it gives me every verse in Scripture at once. I feel like I have biblical superpowers, right? (laughs) Like you know, you see these sci-fi movies where people are like, they got the big screen and all that, and moving stuff around and combining ideas. Hey, I get to do that, man. I got a big old screen, got my little screen, I got Bible software up and running. Smoke coming out of the computer, I'm loving it. You know, it's. (laughs) But forgiveness, you put forgive, it gives you forgiveness, forgiven, all those everywhere, those words, that word is there, it's all through scripture. And you'll notice something if you do that, that you look at forgiveness before the cross and forgiveness after the cross. And it's a very interesting thing. And you have to put these verses in context to understand, especially when, when Jesus is talking here, what if you notice something, okay? Mark 11:25. 25 And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, Jesus talking here, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. We saw the Lord's Prayer this morning. We sang the Lord's Prayer this morning. Okay? Matthew 6, 19 through 15. This then is how you should pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That is absolutely a conditional statement. Okay? Absolutely conditional statement. Luke 6, 37 and 38. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven conditional statement. All of those. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured to you. That right there is just a beautiful statement for interpersonal relationships, isn't it? Read it again. Do not judge and you will not be judged. I mean, outside of our relationship with God, this is just talking about human relationships here. He's not... This isn't just talking about human relationships, but applied to our relationships with each other. Do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Can you paint a more healthy picture for relationship health and stability and that, those things? You know, I was was in the Atlanta airport. Crazy, crazy story. I'm coming back from Alaska it missed my flight out of Salt Lake City because they changed the gate and didn't tell anybody. We we're all sitting there at the gate, and they we ran to the other plane, and it was closed. So they get me on, they say, okay, you wait 24 hours, we can fly you to Philadelphia, or I can get you to Atlanta, Georgia, and you can fly out of there in the morning and be home much sooner than if you wait for a flight direct to Philadelphia. Okay, so I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be spending the night in Georgia. Totally unplanned, but we had some friends in Georgia, so I off the seat back, I called my wife, Okay, and, and I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to be landing in Atlanta. Can you call some of our people in Atlanta and get back to me and see if we can get, get someplace to stay? Okay, so I'm talking about this. I'm talking about Peachtree City and where pe- people live and stuff like this. There's a guy sitting next to me, an older guy. He's got these big earphones on. I'm figuring he's, like, listening to music or something and found out later that those big earphones were to cancel his, like, tinnitus or something, and they actually amplified his hearing, and he's listening to everything I'm saying. Okay, so... <laughs> As soon as I hang up the phone, he says, do you need a ride to Peachtree City? That's, just, that's, that's where I'm going. I'm like, yes, thank you. Lord, this man go, lives in Peachtree City. He goes, I'll take you to Peachtree City, no problem. So we had a great conversation the whole flight, flying from Salt Lake City to Atlanta. And we get there, and in Atlanta, you have to take the train all over. It's like a, like a shuttle train you got to get to. It's a huge airport. So we get in the shuttle train, and there's this woman, spots his earphone, and she's like an audiologist or something. And she starts talking to him and talking and talking and just yakking, yakking, yakking. She did not pass the road trip test, okay? (laughs) You can imagine eight hours in a car with this woman. It's like, no, that's the road trip test, okay? If you can't, if that would terrify you, she fails, and she failed. They were talking a 10-minute train ride, and this guy is really irritated with her and just, like, doesn't want to talk to her and hear all about his condition and, you know, So we get off the the train, and we're walking up, and we come up the little stairs, and this woman is met by another woman, and yeah, there's like lip lock going on there, and it was obvious that they were a couple, and what was this this guy's name? Bob was his name. Dr. Bob. He's a doctor or something or other, and uh, he just kind of stiffens up, and we go walking off down the corridor, and we get down the corridor, and there's no one around us. He says... Pastor Mac, did you see that? Oh, I couldn't believe it, blah, blah. He's just going off and and I'm like, yeah, I saw it, you know, and I'm walking along. He says, What do you think of that? And I don't have much of a filter sometimes. I'm not very diplomatic. It's, I don't really know Bob. I'm gonna get in the car with him and drive like an hour. And I say, Well Bob, I just figured my life got a lot easier when I stopped judging everybody for everything and you know people are who they are and Take them where they're at. He shut up completely. <laughs> and we're walking along, and he says, I think I've really offended him, and now I got in the car, and he's just not talking. He says, Pastor Mac, you're right. I judge everybody, I condemn everybody I see. And my daughter hasn't talked to me in years because of it wow, the Holy Spirit kind of kicked that out of me. You know what I mean? I wasn't thinking, I wasn't planning, you know, just, yeah. That unhealthy relationships because he's violating those principles. He's judging, he's condemning, not forgiving, not giving. Let it sink in. I mean, this is is who we are at times. Repentance of sin and asking for forgiveness is part of Jesus' model prayer. Of the few things that he mentions in his prayer, the Lord's prayer, being forgiven and forgiving others is right there. Extending forgiveness to those who sin against us is right and just based on our seeking of God's forgiveness. Now, there's those conditional statements. You've got to understand that Jesus is preaching at a time where people, the, the Pharisees were the masters of external religiosity. When you looked at a Pharisee, you saw a man who was holy, culturally considered to be above, a cut above religiously, above me, the sinner, the fisherman, whoever. These guys make the external obedience to the law to take it to the nth degree. Okay, their laws were that's why Jesus did things like spit on the ground and make mud to heal the guy's eyes. Well, why did he do that? Well, it was forbidden to make mud on the Sabbath because that's the work of masonry. Okay, there's not some healing property in Jesus' saliva. It's that he spit on the ground to intentionally violate their picayune interpretation of the law. He's throwing it in their face. Okay, walking through the, 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 the fields and harvesting the grain and eating the thing. Oh, he can't be a man of God. Healing a man, telling him to pick up your mat and, and go report to the priest. You can't carry your mat. Well, the man who healed me told me to carry my mat. He can't be a man of God because he told this man to pick up his mat and walk with it on the Sabbath, which is violating the labor laws of God. So God Himself is saying, "You guys are—you you got it wrong here," and you're looking at each other externally, outside. And He says, "He says you guys are whitewashed tombs. You're decorated on the outside, and inside, you're full of rotten bones. You're full—you're rotten to the core. But nobody can see it because you look pretty on the outside. You got all the dot, eyes dotted and T's crossed. You look good, but you're full of rot." People, people you know, came to Jesus thinking that they were already righteous in their own eyes. So, what does he do? He takes the standard of God's acceptance, he takes the awareness of sin, he removes the external shell, all that religiosity. You've heard it said, do not kill. But I say, that right there is just a huge statement, isn't it? To say in a Jewish culture of the Word of God, you've heard it said, but I say, ooh. Moses said, do not kill. But I say, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer in your heart. Moses said, do not commit adultery. But if you have lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. He, he takes that standard of, of, of righteousness and he, he removes the, 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 the shell, the exterior religiosity shell. And he says, look at your heart. Look who you are. What's going on in there? That's what's going to stand before God is that person. You need a Savior. Jesus was here speaking to Jews under the law. He was destroying their sense of self-righteousness and reliance on external shows of obedience. And to emphasize the point, this is how he concludes this whole matter, okay? For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Jews are like, what hope do I have? If my righteousness isn't more than them, I won't go to heaven. Yeah, the final matter, Matthew 5, 48. This is Jesus saying, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Do you want to be righteous on your own before God? Be perfect. As your heavenly father is perfect. You want to get there on your own? You want to establish your own righteousness before God? Like, yeah, I can just walk in here anytime, Lord. There's no judgment for me because be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. Now he's speaking to Jews who are under the law, who think they're okay because of their obedience to the law and they they have they've got it. Nobody can claim anything against me. And he's saying that's not the case. Because you're not perfect, you're not holy, you need a savior. He's trying to get them lost. He's trying to shake up their sense of religious pride and say, whoa, I can't be arrogant before God. Now, forgiveness after the cross. On the cross, okay, we have forgiveness on the cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. These men think they're killing a man. They don't understand what's going on here. They don't understand that he went there willingly. I remember early on in my, probably 16, 17 years old, shortly after I got saved, I, I man was preaching and, and he was talking about Christ going to the cross and how they would, a person would, have you ever seen somebody, you know, a video of someone getting arrested, and they just can't get their hands behind their back, you know, that they're, the guy's, you know, got some big arms or whatever, and the cops are just wailing on his arms, trying to pry one out and get a handcuff on and get them behind his back, and you'll take three, four cops on a guy trying to peel his arm out and get it, yeah, that's what crucifixion looked like, when they brought the person to the cross and were going to nail them they would beat them severely and whip them to make them weak because of that fight where that person would just be curled up with every ounce of strength they have before they get pried open and get that first nail in and then when they get that nail in all of a sudden they, the person's in such agony that they can get the rest but that was the fight that's why they would beat them and whip them beforehand and This man said, I imagine when Jesus arrived at that cross, he just laid down. He was there willingly. He gave his life willingly. They didn't take his life, he gave it. And I can just imagine the shock on those Roman soldiers as he lays down and takes it. That was forgiveness on the cross. Father, forgive them. And if you want to one-up each other on offenses, and you... Don't know what he did to me. You have no idea. You're asking me to forgive. You have no idea. Okay? There's Jesus literally nailed to a cross. He's saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. This is the worst offense that's ever been done because here Jesus was innocent. He was not only not guilty, not guilty means we can't prove that you're guilty. You're presumed innocent. He was innocent, he was sinless. Then at the Last Supper, you said, The Prince of this world is coming. He has nothing on me. <laughs> Satan had nothing with which to accuse Jesus. His entire life, no sin. He was sinless. He was perfect. And he was being offended like none other. He was literally being murdered in this horrible way. And he's saying, God, forgive them. Father, forgive them. So that's who's asking us to forgive, commanding us to forgive. He's established that relationship. Now, forgiveness after the cross. This is cool. This is really interesting. We are before the cross. Forgive, or your Father in heaven will not forgive you. We forgive our sins. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. You know, there's this idea, there's this conditional aspect of it. Now, let's look at after the cross. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Oh, We're looking towards the cross, forgive, we're obeying the law, and Lord, I can't forgive. Help me forgive. Lord, forgive the things I don't even know about. After the cross, wow, forgive because I've been forgiven. I forgive because I've been forgiven. And that's not conditional. It's a requirement, it's a command, but your forgiveness is not conditional. Conditional. Because of what Jesus did for you, because of the position you're in, because you are in Christ. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. You have been baptized into Christ. You've been taken out of the world. You're out of the first Adam and into the second Adam. You are no longer a citizen of, under the domain of Satan, you are now a citizen of heaven. You are righteous in God's sight. We don't often think of ourselves as holy, we think, we're well, am a sinner saved by grace. No, you're a saint. That's what God says about you. You are holy, and now you're learning to live like what you are. You're not becoming something that you're not. You're living out the reality of who you are. Understand that? Let that sink in. Let that sink in. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Colossians 1, 13 through 15. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness... And brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Got it? You don't live in North Korea anymore. You've been taken out of that domain of darkness. And now you're here in the land of the, home of the, land of the free and the home of the brave. Live like a free man. Ephesians 5.18. For you were. Wait a minute. I want to quote things correctly, not just. Ephesians 5:8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Okay. Can we do that? You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Be what you are. Live as who you are. And you are forgiven. Got it? You are forgiven in Christ. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. You're forgiven. Colossians 2.12-14, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Therefore as God's chosen people, you've been chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. In other words, what you are and what you have to learn to live like. You are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You are holy in the Lord. Live as a holy person. You are forgiven in the Lord. Forgive other people. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against somebody. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You have this as a present possession the forgiveness of your God, because you came to Him and He made, put paid to the promise that He made to forgive you. You own it, it's yours. You're forgiven. Can, do you, are you getting how ugly a look it is for a believer to be unforgiving? Ooh, guys, it's not a good look. It's not a good look to hold somebody in unforgiving. I want my pound of flesh. I want, my, I want their destruction. And you've been set free of that. You can give it up. God's, got a, God's in control of this he knows the, what was done to you. You know why? Because he paid the price for that on the cross. He knows exactly what was done to you. He knows exactly what you've done, and he knows he's forgiven you. And you know, to who much is forgiven, that we also forgive much, right? That's the way it should work. Oh, but Pastor Mac, you have no idea the person I'm dealing with. How Matthew 18, 21, 22. When Peter came and to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? I imagine Peter's thinking he's magnanimous here. He's like, seven? I mean, three is unreasonable. I'll, I'll go seven. <laughs> seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, there's other Bibles that say seven, 70 times seven times, right? And there's big debate is it 77, or is it 490? And the point here is not to get one of those little clickers. Okay, forgave him, forgave him, we're at 251, all right. Forgave him. You know what, buddy? You're at 489. <laughs> I click this, you explode. Front towards enemy, you got that claymore mine try it. You destroy yourself, right? Yet the point is not, is it 77 or 490? Well, you can debate that. And the Greek says, the Greek says, look at the Greek, it said 70 times 7 or 70 times and 7. And that little and, is it 70 times and 7? That'd be 77 or 70 times 7. 70 times and 7. That's what it comes down to, that little and. Is it there or not in the manuscript or was it translated correctly? the point is not to keep counting until you finally hold on to your bitterness. Whether it's 77 or 490, the point is exaggerated here out of proportion. There's no end to forgiving. Lord, how many times can I get away with this before you stop forgiving me? That's not the question a person asks who is in a proper relationship with their God, right? How many times can I get away with this sin before, you know, by his wounds, we are healed. And the picture I have is there he is on the cross, and I want to do this sin, so I'm going to pick up that cat of nine tails and pop. Because that's what he did to pay for it, right? So if I want to continue to sin with the attitude of abusing God's grace, that's literally, in my mind, what you're doing. It's just adding stripes to, the, to Jesus on the cross, just adding to his torment in that. You know, and I just can't relate to him that way. So, I've only got five minutes here. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 18. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. The parable of the unmerciful servant. This is right after... Jesus talks to him. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, no. Seventy times seven. Seventy-seven times. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how your heavenly father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Now, we know after the cross, forgive as you have been forgiven. This has been done to you, for you. You have been forgiven of your debt. Now you will forgive. It's not optional. And if God chastens those he loves, can you imagine being this person after having been forgiven and refusing to forgive? And God disciplines his children, disciplines those he loves. If you disobey the sin, God will chasten you for it. He will bring you to that place where you give it up. Because he wants you to experience the liberation of forgiveness. The healing of forgiveness. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Post-unforgiveness. After you're forgiven. That's what he cleanses the wound, guys. He cleanses the wound. That thing that was done to you, yes. You recognize it was done. Yes, that's a sin. It was wrong. It was evil it hurt, I'm bearing the consequences of it and Lord I'm tearing, turning that all over to you because I know you bought it and I'm going to forgive that person and whatever consequences I bear I'm going to draw from you for the strength to do that rather than demand that that happens because tell you what God might forgive them too right they might repent of what they did to you come to him, he's going to forgive them and that's a beautiful thing that's what he did for you. Amen? Amen? So, the wicked servant, don't be that guy. <laughs> right? That's the whole point of what Jesus is saying there. Don't be that guy. Forgive. And I promise you, times of refreshing from the Lord will come. Because that is a promise from him. Father God, I thank you that uh, we are forgiven in Christ. That we stand forgiven. That, that there is nothing we can ever do to merit this. To, earn it, to pay for it, and you don't expect payment. You do expect fellowship with us though. That's why you paid our price. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would examine our own hearts, Lord, and, and let go of any bitterness or unforgiveness that we have. Just take it to you, Lord, and admit that we have been that way and help people in unforgiveness. Lord, even if there's not reconciliation or even letting a person know that we forgive them, Lord, we just need to stand that way before you and experience that healing. So Lord, I just pray that each one of us would examine our hearts and to turn these things over to you and uh, that your grace might flood into our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.